Well, good evening, and uh, thanks for coming out tonight and uh, engaging in this, the last night of the missions conference. Uh, certainly, you guys do have a legacy and some wonderful folks that you have the opportunity to partner with. Such a blessing just to see that snapshot of what's going on. Uh, those of us who are here for the conference, want to thank you especially for all who hosted, uh, all the meals that were prepared, all the... <laughs> no kidding, yes. Um, uh, we understand there's a reason why a lot of churches have given up on week-long missions conferences and uh, missed the opportunity, but you guys have invested, and we thank you for that. It's been a blessing to us, and I, I will say, you know, we appreciate your year-round partnership as well, and I love to think uh, that we connect and are stewards of this thing that God has given us, uh, that we call the Great Commission, uh, this last uh, pledge there, command that we have a hard time obeying, which I appreciated that song during the offertory. Um, but together, it's amazing what we can do together. Uh, uh, we were talking earlier for AIM to have partnership with Wycliffe and groups like that is such a thrill. Uh, we are not in competition. We're in the kingdom together, and it's a very rich thing. Well, we've been looking uh, through this weekend a bit at the life of Peter to say, Lord, what would you teach us about the efforts you went to to change his heart so he could be more fruitfully used? And uh, with the men, we looked at how um, Zacchaeus, this somewhat despised Jewish rich tax collector, who it would have probably been hard for Peter to warm up to, was loved by God and invited wholeheartedly into the kingdom. And basically got a big uh, high five from Jesus when people were scowling that a man like him could be invited in. And then we looked at uh, Cornelius this morning and said, wow, what's it like for a Roman centurion? If there's anyone the Jews don't like, it's a Roman soldier. And God did this shaking thing in Peter's life. And he said, now the lights are coming on. God doesn't show favors. He seems to love everybody. Who knew? Peter didn't actually understand that naturally. And so he is learning. And we're going to pick that up here, if you have your Bibles, in chapter 11, just a little bit to finish that story. Because if you remember, Peter took some buddies with him. And that was actually a smart thing to do. Uh, so in chapter 10, he has this miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit, just like Pentecost at Cornelius' house. But then in chapter 11, it says, The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And you think, right, we're just going to be clapping about that, right? So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Remember we talked this morning about how Jesus so modeled the whole hospitality thing and how often he was in people's houses and how the disciples figured that out. But this was the very area that these guys attacked Peter in. The thing that uh, he was vulnerable because they were so used to having the right way to do all of this to have access to God and keeping everybody else out. And now they're bothered that Peter has gone over this boundary and gone to those despised Gentiles. So it's really interesting to see how Peter responds to this. Verse 4, Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. And I'll just give you a break on this. We don't have time to read this whole thing, but all these dreams get repeated. Peter says, well, Cornelius had a dream. I had a dream. God was all over this. Don't you understand that? And we'll pick it up with verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. 
Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Now, Peter has gotten bold, hasn't he? He's still making this defense. He said, listen, it wasn't my idea. I I wasn't that warm on this Gentile Roman soldier. But God made it so clear. And I went and God showed up in power and in majesty. And I got to understand, oh, he does not have favorites. He wants to pour his love out on everyone. And so I didn't want to stand in the way of God. In fact, I wanted to join into what was God was doing. And here's a remarkable next step for them. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Basically, while Peter's heart was being changed, and he had these concerns about what his friends would think, he got to see a new way that God was working, a new way to look at people, a new way to engage with people, a new way to see God, the power of God unleashed. And as he shared it with his friends, instead of them just mocking him and criticizing him, he turned these whiners into worshipers. Now, there might be some people here that you think, if I invited this person to church, I think I would raise some eyebrows. Or if I let people know what house I was going to or who was coming to my house or where I'm meeting some people, perhaps I wonder what the brothers would think. And let me tell you something. I'm, uh, it doesn't matter how old I am. I'm old enough to know you never get past adolescence, <laughs> okay? That means we all continue to worry about what people think about us. The fear of men is one of life's long battles. And it's true in the church, too. We've traded sometimes our middle school and our high school group and our college group and maybe some professional folks for this intimacy we have in church, which is a great thing. It's a gift from God. But then we can become afraid of one another. And what will people think of what I do and where I go and who I'm friends with? Instead, we should be like Peter and say, let me tell you, God went before me and he opened this door. I didn't even expect it. But boy, it was clear he was there. It was clear that he was going to work in this person's life. And I'm glad I got to be part of it. And we can perhaps be used, instead of our friends making us fearful, we can be used to take away some of their fear. Say, how do I get in on some of that? How do I have an encounter with somebody like that? And you know what? You can say, well, come with me. Uh, That's what we do with our work with Diaspora here in North Philly. We have a team that are working with North Africans. And besides having direct ministry, working and living amongst the North Africans, they visit in churches just like this one and say, hey, if you would like to have us introduce you to some North Africans, we'll build a bridge for you and we'll show you how to do that. We'll help you actually have this kind of experience to see how God loves these people. It's an adventure and it's great. I understand that our fears will make it difficult to step over the threshold, but I'm just inviting you to say, ask God to take those fears away. And let him deal with your heart and open your heart to how he sees people. So we see that Peter did really well in this case, but it's not quite the end of the story. You'll see that the uh, main passage we want to look at, or at least a significant one here, is in Galatians. And this, uh, it's hard to know exactly when uh, Galatians was penned, but likely it was written after this episode and before the council in Acts 15, whenever they have this big discussion about what to do with these Gentile believers. And uh, in essence, 
there's a problem that comes out in this story where Paul is at the church of Antioch, and basically uh, Peter's there visiting. Uh, again, you're going to find out that what they're dealing with is dinner. Um, they're having meals together. It's a great thing. So this is uh, Galatians, basically chapter 2, verse 11. And, uh, you know, Peter went there in part sent by the church to investigate and to say, can you agree that good things are happening? Go check it out. And he's there, and it says, when Peter came to Antioch, whoa, this is strong language. I opposed him to his face. This is Apostle Paul writing. Paul could be a little tough. I mean, honestly, this is what tough love looks like. So basically, Peter comes, and he says, before certain men came from James, which was to say from the Jewish elders in Jerusalem, before they came, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. He was loving it. He was engaging in these new relationships and the new freedom he never had his whole life. And he was experiencing sweet fellowship with them and I don't doubt worship with them. And Paul and Barnabas are ministering and the teaching is rich and good. I think there's probably miracles happening. It was a rich time. And Paul was, I mean, Peter was right in the middle of it. But when these other guys arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And you know what? I don't want to be too hard on Peter because, guess, this is all of us. We sometimes get a clear idea of what God wants us to do, and then we drop the ball. Fear or something else, a concern that it's going to get too consuming or cost us too much or that we will not be thought well of, or there's all kinds of reasons we can be stopped. And it happened to Peter. And in his case, it was he was afraid of what these brothers from Jerusalem would think. And Paul, bold as he was, confronted him to his face. And it basically says not only was Peter doing this, but because he did it, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, the friendly guy who was always supportive and helping everyone, even Barnabas was led astray by these acts of Peter. And so you see, when Peter was testifying to the goodness and faithfulness of God to save Cornelius, he changed the hearts of his friends to say, oh, is that how God works? And when Peter was somewhat selfishly and thinking only of himself, pulling away from these new dear brothers and sisters in Christ, to their hurt, to their embarrassment, oh yeah, I was a Jew, I'm not eating with those guys anymore. And because he was Peter from Jerusalem, one of the apostles, the one who spoke at Pentecost, all these other guys started pulling away too. And so do you see that whichever way Peter went, he was influencing people. And guess what, guys? None of us are an island. If you choose to take those steps of obedience, of loving people, and start taking those risks with people who are different, people will follow you in that. It will affect other people in the church. But if you're very quick to put the barriers up and say, well, we wouldn't be very comfortable. We really don't want them to come. Maybe we should do a ministry over there. We don't really want them in our church, do we? No, no we probably don't. If you don't think it would be a good idea. I was thinking about inviting them, but probably not. It probably wouldn't be a good idea. We influence each other like that like crazy. And so we see that carried out in Peter's life. And all I'll say is God is a gracious God. He was not done with Peter. And he's not done with us either for the times that we've had those same kind of failures. So um, I want to look at 1 Peter 3 then because this is written probably 15 years later after Peter had this failure. I, 
I'm kind of under the assumption that the Jerusalem Council happened and they all get together to try to work out what to do with these Gentile believers, whether they had to be circumcised. Peter spoke up and testified again at what God had done and used his influence to say, no, I don't think they need to be circumcised. I think they are uh, as important to God and as important to the part of the body of Christ as any of us. So he kind of swung back and he played his role very beautifully. But then I love what he says here in 1 Peter 3. And this is, like I said, this is probably near the end of Peter's life. This is when persecution is getting really heavy. Uh, It's not easy to be a Christ follower at this stage. And he's writing to encourage these people to hang on. But then he says this, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Now there's good advice. That's not asking, hmm, do I want to do what I know what God wants me to do? If I'm setting apart Christ as Lord, it's just asking the question, Lord, what do you want? How can I go out my door of my house today and be a channel of blessing, be your hands and feet and voice in this community? What do you want me to do? And so he says, that's the first thing you do. Before you try to do ministry, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. But then he says some really wise words. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So Peter was assuming that, you know what, if you are setting Christ apart in your life, when the rest of the world is going into very difficult times and the difficulties hit you, and people watch to see how you respond, And they see, you know what, you've lost loved ones. You've had crises at work. You have health issues. But you seem to have this rock your life is built on. So there's always a center of hope and peace. He said, if if you're experiencing that fullness in Christ, people are going to ask you, what's the deal? Why didn't you just have a total crash and burn whenever that family member died or you got fired at that job or whatever happened? Where, Where in the world do you find this stability in your life? He said, when they come to ask you that, then basically be prepared to give them a reason, which the reason is we've centered our life in the person of Christ. We know who we are. We know our future. Uh, we, We know how loved we are no matter what we've done. But then he also gives a few other practical tidbits here, he says. But do this with gentleness and respect. I love those words. Um, our, uh, Wycliffe friend was reminding us that we don't have to knock on the doors and say, do you know you're about to go to hell unless you let me come in your house and tell you something? And I, and I don't want to be critical of anybody that's done ministry that God has used because we all have people, you, want, you can start throwing stones anytime you want. Uh, I can't tell you how many mistakes I've made. But nonetheless, he said, if you're going to get engaged with people, do it with gentleness. So gentleness doesn't bowl people over. It doesn't give them the idea, you know what, you don't know, but I know everything you need to know, so sit down and I'm going to tell you. You know, that, that's not gentleness, is it? Gentleness is, comes alongside people and says, I would like to know you. I would like to hear your story. I want you to know that you're a valuable person loved by God, but first I've got to know you before I can help bring that story. And so gentleness doesn't bowl people over. And then he says, and with respect. I could jump up and down about how a big deal this is that God wants us to respect everybody. And I got to tell you, in our, uh, you know, when we go overseas and come back, sometimes we get this unique sense that we get to see things in the States that people that live here all the time can't see quite as clearly. And one of the things is with all of our ways of being put into tribes, you know, you're in this tribe or that tribe, political tribes, uh, 
economic demographic tribes, racial tribes, uh, religious tribes. We have all these ways that people are in tribes that are different than us. And there's all these messages we get not to respect those people. Now, mind you, you're also encouraged not to know them. Keep your distance from them, whoever whoever them is, right? But Peter said, enter into these relationships with gentleness and respect. We had a a Muslim lady, a whole family that lived in our neighborhood in uh, Georgia, and uh, they were from Morocco, conservative family. Uh, you couldn't, the husband worked at the, for an airline. He was a mechanic. Kids went to high school. They were all boys. They had a lot of freedom. But the mom wore the full garb, and uh, it was all she could do. And she couldn't come to our house without one of her sons being with her. She couldn't go around the neighborhood. I mean, it was very conservative. So we befriended her a bit. My wife went and visited her a few times. And again, not trying to put in a political camp, but when the election of 2016 happened, and there was a lot of talk about immigration, anti-immigration and things, my wife went to visit her about a week after the election. She said, yeah, I just wanted to check in on you. I wanted to see how you're doing and what you think. Uh, I, I, could, I could appreciate that, you know, you, your faith is very important to you. Your identity as a Moroccan is very important to you. And this might, this might be a difficult time. She said, you know what? I won't leave my house for three or four weeks. I'm afraid. Uh, and it was such a sweet moment for my wife to be able to sit with this woman. Say, I, I had no idea. I, I kind of guessed that maybe this was a little awkward. I had no idea it would affect you that way. But it started because this woman understood my wife respected her. She didn't come in to just, uh, you know, well, here's how many ways we're different. But she came alongside her with respect and gentleness. And I would say the fragrance of Christ. And that's what Peter counsels. Paul puts it in another expression, and I'm not going to look the passage up for time, but this is found in Colossians, when he's talking also about looking for every opportunity, just like Peter, and he says, let your language, let your talk be seasoned with grace. So if, uh, if I'm dealing with somebody and I'm dealing with them not with grace, the negative of grace is judgment. So if I come to you and I, I really need you to know what I don't like about you. I really need you to know all the things that I'm thinking are wrong. Because if I don't tell you, you might think I think it's okay, these things that you have, your lifestyle things or your religion or whatever. And so it's really easy for us to come across as judgmental. And Paul says, let your words be seasoned with grace. Guess what? Grace means you don't have to earn God's pleasure. You don't have to get your act together to be loved by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Grace means, however big a mess your life is, what I want for you is I want to see good come to you. I want to see you get reconciled to God and reconciled to other people. I want blessing to flow into your life because that's the God that I know, the God I know loves you. And so I want to bring these words of grace with respect and gentleness, instead of words of judgment and condemnation. And you know what? If you would take care of this and this and this, maybe you could have a chance to get your life in order with God. And so, you know, Paul, and, I mean, Paul is a pretty, uh, pretty stiff guy. Peter was sometimes uh, very, very outspoken. But somehow in the course of their ministry, they learned these things and they invite us to see what God taught them and see how we can learn it about being gentle, about uh, speaking with grace, about being non-judgmental. Well, I want to show this video that is uh, from an acquaintance of ours in Africa, and it just gives you a little bit of picture of what it's like from their side, okay? So please, let's see if we can see this video. 
I put on my sandals, I must first put on the right foot. When I enter the mosque, I must enter first with the right foot. When washing before prayer, I must wash my right hand, then left hand, then the feet, starting with the right foot. Only after I am completely clean can I pray. And when praying, I must stand foot to foot so that the devil cannot enter through the gaps. Five times a day I pray and follow these rules because I am a Muslim. I have always been a Muslim. My family, my friends, everyone I know has always been a Muslim. We know of no other way. I live beside the ocean. I am a fisherman. I rise early every morning with a call to prayer and go out on my boat. I love the ocean. It brings me peace and it helps provide for my wives and my children. I return to sell my catch at the market. I bargain for the best price, but there's no bargaining with fate when I catch nothing that day. If Allah wills that I catch nothing, then who am I to question his judgment? And yet, there are even more important questions that I'm not supposed to ask. someday I will be judged by Allah. I'm fated to go to heaven or to hell, but I cannot know which. It is a terrible thing not to know if my life of following the rules of Islam will be good enough. I try hard. I say the shahada. I do the prayers. I give to the poor. I fast. But is it enough to earn Allah's mercy? I cannot know until it is too late. I used to feel peace as I watched the sunset. But now, at the end of the day, as the shadows grow, so does my uncertainty.
do you catch his heart? He would love to know if he could have peace with God. He would love to know that God would accept him. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what Christ did so he could be fully and freely accepted and embraced in the love and mercy of God. Now, here's something that uh, I just, you know, as God changed our hearts and our minds, there are Muslims within a few miles of this church. And they don't know. They don't understand the grace of God. And it might seem to you that would be the hardest person in the world to talk to. What we find pretty much here as well as all around the world, Muslims are some of the most anxious people to talk about spiritual things you'd want to meet. Now, you have to enter in with gentleness, respect, and grace. Show respect to them. Expect to learn some things from them. Expect your life to be rich if God graces you with a relationship with a Muslim. But also wonder if he might not be the one, that you'd be the one to be used to tell them his story, to invite them from death to life, to let them know, you know what, you can know about your future and about your standing with God. And I would say that's true in, uh, in so many other categories of people that are in this area. Again, I appreciate, and, and one of the things when we come to these missions conferences, you know, so anxious to... Um, uh, to not have a good number of the church that's drifting away from an interest in missions. And those of us that are engaged with really partners like you come and make you feel guilty or you're not doing enough. I want to give you a big high five about how much this church does. I want you to continue in that and have joy in that and celebrate that. But I do want to invite you to say, but don't think that you're hiring your work done. Because God wants us all in this game. And also, if there are fears and things that keep you back... I just want you to know that God will use messy people, won't he? <laughs> we know he will. And, and I just want to tell you, don't be afraid of making mistakes. Enter into the adventure of building bridges for Christ. I don't know for sure. You know, it seems to me uh, uh, each of you would have a unique story. Perhaps it's a neighbor that God's going to bring to your mind. If you start doing like Peter and Paul counseled, looking for every opportunity Paul says, look for every opportunity. Peter says, be always prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. If you go out the door of your house every day saying, God, I want you to open my eyes and my heart to an encounter today at work, in my neighborhood, maybe within my family or extended family, I just want to be ready. I want to be the one that is a conduit of your love and mercy to this world. And it becomes this great adventure. I have to tell you, if you go, I'm just shocked at God's graciousness in this. And don't think that you have to somehow, if you have any encounter, make sure you don't leave that person without having both led them to Christ and discipled them before your coffee is done. We, we do serve a sovereign God. And so you can trust him with the whole process. It isn't all on your shoulders. Big secret, we can't take people from death to life. It's God's work and God's spirit's work. But he uses us as his instruments. So just have the fragrance of Christ on you. Be going with gentleness and compassion and all those wonderful things and enjoy the journey. I, I was uh, have wonderful hosts that have uh, had several good meals with as well as good times talking. But I thought after I left church today, I should probably stop somewhere and have a cup of coffee and get ready for tonight. So I stopped in a Dunkin' Donuts, of which there are everywhere around here, it seems like to me. And, uh, and I'm there working. I've got my Bible and notebook, so people are eyeballing me a little bit, but I don't mind. And... Uh, and a, an older gentleman sitting over here drinking his coffee watching me. And he looks like, I wasn't sure if he's homeless or not, or his holes in his jacket and things. 
And he's watching me and watching other people. And then this young guy comes in and gets a coffee. And he's got, a, he's got colored tattoos. And one of them is really fresh. You could tell. It looked like it had oil on it. And the colors were really stark. And this older gentleman says, hey, did you just get a tattoo? And the young guy says, yeah, I, I just did. In fact, it's, you know, I got to keep this on for this length of time. It has to heal for a few weeks. And so I realize I'm sitting here with my Bible on the table and my cup of coffee. And this, I'm thinking, salty old guy, he built a bridge with this young man. The young man is probably feeling very awkward sitting there with a couple of 60-year-olds and his tattooed arm, you know, that looks sore as it could be. And this guy just asked him a question. So then I asked, you know, um, how long did that take? Oh, it, I thought it would be two hours, but it's four. We started a conversation. And I'm just reminded of how easy and often, if we're just available, and if it's in our heart, say, God, right here and right now, I want to be a blessing. I don't know if I'll get to preach the whole gospel, but I want to have the fragrance of Christ on my life right now. I want to be available to be used by you, whatever that looks like. And, uh, and get me out of my shell, where Satan makes me think I've got to stay in there to stay safe. Get me out there. And may God do that for us. Um, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, basically it doesn't, it does not uh, push people to work. That is this idea of approaching people with grace. We don't have to push people to change. We don't have to push them to perform in order to be blessed. But we can offer the hope that change is possible. Because if we really get to know them and we're respecting them, they'll trust us enough to say, you know, my life's a mess. And so is mine, to tell you the truth. I've got struggles too. I'm a broken sinner, to be honest. And yet, there is hope. Did you know that? Did you know that God can actually go there and deal with that stuff you have? That's a very different conversation than starting with some of their, I've got to get exposed to your brokenness. Grace also invites people in instead of excluding them from things. Grace invites them into intimacy with God, and grace invites them into intimacy with a community like this. What's it like for people to walk through that door right now? Some of these people that, you know, would be so different. How would they know that we were welcoming them in? So I want to encourage you to let God enlarge your heart for the nations and your neighbors. And you know what? That's what it looks like to imitate Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you loved us while we were yet sinners. And in fact, this is kind of confusing, but you love us while we still are sinners. You've forgiven our sins, past, present, and future, as far as the east is from the west. We bathe in your grace and your mercy, and we are thankful for it. And Father, uh, I thank you that you're in your generous spirit. You want us to become channels of that grace and love and mercy to other people. You're inviting us to the dance. You're inviting us not to be observers, but participants. And Father, everybody in this room has a unique bridge to relationships that no one else has. And uh, we're equipped as you have equipped us for this work. So I pray that we would go out here not with fear and not under guilt, but with a heart filled with a joy, knowing that you have committed yourself to using us uh, in the places that we are in. And then, Father, for this church, I thank you so much for the way you're using them around the world. And I know it's not easy to maintain these commitments they've made to missions and to all these places. And I pray, Lord, you would strengthen their hearts in that work and encourage them. I pray that even this conference, these stories they've heard from their missionaries would come back over and over again and ring in their ears and their hearts about what you're doing. And they say, I get to be part of that too. 
by participating through my church. So would you pour out your blessing in this place? And just, Father, I ask that it blows the doors off this place, that more ministry is happening outside than inside, Uh, that the love of Christ is being experienced in new and fresh ways in this community. Father, the thing that just happened in New Zealand is so sad. Uh, The hate that was showed, and uh, it's so discouraging to us that things like this happen. But... Darkness makes light shine even brighter. And so may people, maybe there's some Muslims in our area that are afraid too. They're afraid to go to the mosque. And maybe we can come and say, what's that like for you? Maybe we can show them that gentleness and that grace and that love. And it'll stand out all the more because of the darkness. May it be, Lord Jesus. May you be glorified by working in and through us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.